Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to the Pint Glass Preachers. This is Gabe, and we're starting off a little bit different this time because listen to a podcast, and this is what they did to start their episode off, and I really liked it. So in segment one of our podcast, we are going to respond to a text that we got from a listener in Milwaukee uh, in regards to denominations. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they indifferent? Who cares? Let's talk about them. And in segment two, pow, 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 what not to say to funeral because two funerals recently i had someone say to me uh something i didn't want to hear as a pastor and yet i wanted to respond to them in a pastoral way but not in a pastoral way because i wasn't sure what i really wanted to say to them at the funeral at that time where they're grieving the most vulnerable moments and in segment three we'll bring you back with something that you will not want to miss all that and more on this week's episode of the pint glass preachers Hey, hey, guys! Um, my one sole contribution to this entire podcast has been my phenomenal intros. What happened? Gabe's fault. We took it from you, dude. The Cooligans happened. It's my favorite soccer podcast right now. That's how they started. It's amazing, and I thought we should try it. Your favorite podcast now? That's always been your favorite podcast, bro. I've been listening to it for like a month, so that Uh, debatable. (laughs) <laughs> two months i no, i just started listening to these guys so if we're shaking things up then sh- throughout the podcast should i like bring up pretentious quotes from ancient philosophers and i know you talk should. about how much oh, i please, read books please do i that. would oh tom please do please it would do. actually legitimize our podcast tom if you started to do things <laughs> like that yeah tom you should be like uh well i was i was reading as part of the star wars canon the the <laughs> The writings of Yoda and Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Really good. Oh, man. Really good. Uh, hey, friends, what are we drinking tonight? I'm going to lead this one off because apparently all my stuff's been taken, so I'm just going to go. Um, it's summer. <laughs> it's wonderfully uh, beautiful out. And so tonight, from a copper mug, I am drinking a Moscow mule. Good on you. It's that delicious. Sounded, that was so defeatist, Tom. What? No, I mean, all, like, I just, I just feel like you feel really defeated right now. I have nothing. I have nothing to live for <laughs> except for a Moscow Mule. Moscow I, I spend, I spend thirteen days writing up a ph- phenomenal intro so that when we come every other week to do this podcast, uh, I can contribute in some way, and then you steal it from me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Dude, maybe like freeing up that brain space. Who knows what you'll say tonight? It could be. Who knows? Wow. Who knows? It could All be brain power. That's right. So you know, I, oh. I'm cutting. For me, uh, tonight, I'm drinking some Aviation Gin. Uh, for those you're not familiar, Aviation Gin is now, I believe, owned by uh, – who's the guy that plays Deadpool? Uh, Ryan Gosling? Not Ryan Gosling. It's another Ryan. Oh. Whatever. Some white guy named Ryan. Uh, and, Ryan, Reynolds. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. And, uh, and so he uh, owns Aviation Gin now. And uh, and Melissa saw that on his Instagram, and so she bought me some a few months back, and then I bought it, and I really like it. So is it good? It's super good. It's like a little fruity, little citrusy, uh, and it goes down smooth. So I like it a lot. Can I, can I ask a question though about the gin? Like, where does it range from? Let's just say Hendrix. We'll say that's kind of top shelf. Mm-hmm. New Amsterdam is hanging around near the bottom. Maybe yeah, Bombay is yeah. sort of in the sub middle area. Where where do you where would you place this? I would put it up by Hendrix. For real? Uh, I mean, it's it's the same price range as Hendrix. It's a it's like a hair cheaper, okay. Uh, but flavor profile and and uh, I really really like it a lot. It's probably my second favorite gin, right behind Hendrix. Man, that makes me feel like I want to go out and buy some aviation gin. You should, you should. They are a new sponsor of the show. Ryan Reynolds loves our stuff. Uh, we actually inspired a lot of the script for Deadpool. So Deadpool two, not Deadpool one. He didn't know. Oh, no, 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 no. We did not inspire that script because I didn't think the movie was that good. I agree. It actually was not as good as the first. I was pretty bummed out. Which is probably why he's sending us free bottles of aviation gin to try to smooth (laughs) over the negative critique that we have of those. He is really, 
really worried about how we feel about his movies. He's just trying really hard. I mean, no, that's true. R- Ryan, we love you and we will support you for a while. No matter what, uh, buddy, you are a special snowflake. Keep, keep the gin coming, buddy. Keep yep. the gin coming. Yep. Uh, anyway, you know, Tom, I was thinking about your Moscow Mule because in the last probably month, I have tried three separate ginger beers uh, with my – what do you put in Moscow Mule? Rum? Vodka? No, vodka, lime, <laughs> lime juice, and anyway, uh, ginger beer. It's not the vodka, and it's You're not the You're making lime. it wrong. No, 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 it's not. It's the ginger beer. I, I realized I don't yeah. like ginger beer as much as I want to like oh, it. What kind yeah, of ginger I, beer are you drinking? Dude, I've tried like four or five different varieties. and Okay, tell me which kinds. I, I can't remember that. We're going to talk were... about this, and our listeners are going to have to listen to this so that they can make solid decisions when they're at the liquor store next time. No, we're not talking about it because, Gabe, I have a confession to make. Here it uh, comes. Since we self-deprecated about our Camp Arcadia um, lectures that we've been working on last episode. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the last time we were at Arcadia, uh, one Krista Graving made us some Moscow mules. Oh. And I remember sitting there in that little Camp Arcadia room, sunroom or whatever it was, thinking to myself, mm-hmm. this is the most disgusting thing I've ever drank. <laughs> but I'm going to do it because I want to fit in with all of Gabe's camp friends. Yeah, we're cool. It just is never. Okay. Listen, Tom. Then I'm just going to move on, all right? You can have your Moscow Mule. Tonight, I'm enjoying a Terrapin uh, Brewing Company, their Hopsecutioner IPA. Ooh, it's cool a, it is a really cool name. Um, it is a really delightful beer, one of my favorite go-tos. And so, yeah, I'm getting executed by the Hopsecutioner tonight. Is it from Maryland? No, the Terrapin Brewing Company is not from Maryland. Okay. Which is a fair question, though, because that okay, is yeah, all Maryland Terrapins. Yes, absolutely. But yep. alas, it is not. Okay, okay. Terps for life. All right. Well, friends, we got a uh, text oh, message. Wait, wait, wait. You what? get to do the intro and you get to do the, the, the text message things? I, like, just, I mean, I don't do a lot else on this podcast either. I mean, I don't think our listeners realize this. Talk a lot. I mean, jo- whatever. Josh no, does 90% of all the work keep- for this podcast. So... Uh, at any rate, we got a text, and uh, this is what it said. Pine Glass Preachers is my new favorite road trip radio. Slowly working my way through all the episodes. We're sorry to hear that. Would love to hear you guys discuss denominations within the Christian church. How are they good? How are they bad? Sometimes they seem hereditary. How can Christians engage other Christians whose church has a different name on the door? Great question. It came from our friend Andrew in Milwaukee. If it is who I think it is, he is like my childhood best friend. We were in a punk band together. He's an amazing human being, and I'm so delighted he listens to the show. If it's a different Andrew in Milwaukee, then I am just baffled. Um, So uh, there we go. But if you're an Andrew from Milwaukee, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, let's move along. Denominations. Good, bad. How can Christians engage other Christians whose church has a different name on the door? Josh, go. Okay, listen, I just left for a quick second because this morning I was actually reading uh, Leslie Newbegin's book, Foolishness to the Greeks. And in the concluding chapter of this book, he actually talks about denominationalism. And if I can pull up the quote very quickly, he basically says, I'm stalling. Can you guys tell while I look for this underlining in this book that I was reading? Oh, there we go. Uh, That he pretty much agrees um, with Richard Niebuhr's dictum that denominationalism represents the moral failure of Christianity. Uh, And he argues that, well, not argues, but he points out the fact that it is a matter of historical fact that denominationalism, as it flourishes in the United States today, developed out of the voluntary associations that were formed for missionary purposes, and yet at the same time, now we see that denominations are powerful, purposeful, effective agencies of self-propagation. Wow. So here's the challenge with American denominationalism, which is a uniquely American phenomenon, at least according to Leslie Newbegin, and I would tend to agree, that although started out of a coalition kind of effort and cooperative effort to evangelize, has now turned into basically self-propagating machines that tend to, you know, eviscerate other denominations in their path for the sake of their own ends for the sake of their own ends yeah yeah so maybe naive question but denominations did not start because one group of lutherans didn't believe that this other you know a certain a a certain piece of of 
theology, they don't believe, and I don't believe this, and you don't believe that, and we're different, and so we're going to split off. No, because I think that back, if you look at like the uh, the Protestant Reformation, you know, when you had the the Calvinists and the Lutherans and that kind of thing, they still considered themselves under one lump category of Protestant. But it's not really until American denominationalism that you really begin to see distinctive lines being drawn and definitive differentiation between the various, you know, subsets of dogma um, to, you know, to really identify oneself as unique. Well, so can I give a can I give a quick history lesson for the good listener? Please do. Okay. So for the first thousand years of church history, first thousand years, there is one church. It is the Christian church. That is it, period. Then you have the Great Schism. You end up with a, a pope in Constantinople and you end up with a pope in Rome. And it actually, uh, what happened was these two popes were in disagreement about how papal authority worked. Was the 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 pope a, a superior authority over all others? Or was the Pope uh, the the leader among equals? And in the Eastern tradition, he's kind of the leader among equals. In the Western tradition, uh, he's ahead of everyone else. Upon and, this rock, I build my church. Right. So, so the the Pope of Rome is in Western canon really ahead of all other uh, leaders in the church. In the Eastern, As a direct canon, successor of Peter. Right. He's a, he's a great among equals. And so you have this split. Uh, and so you have Eastern Orthodoxy now and you have uh, Roman Catholicism now. So we, the three of us are, are Lutherans. If you've ever listened to this podcast, you know that. And um, and so we follow the Western tradition of, of the Christian church. And so Western tradition continues that way. And so for the next 500 years, there's more or less only two denominations, Eastern Orthodox and Catholicism. Then we get to our boy, Martin Luther, you can listen to our Reformation episode, cringe the whole time if you'd like. Uh, and he uh, he says, hey, the church has lost its way. We need to get back to what we were 1,500 years ago and all get on the right track. Problem with that was, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think he was right. But the problem with what happened when he did that was everyone kind of started saying, yeah, we do need to get on the right track, except Martin, you're not quite exactly right. And Calvin Calvin's maybe more right. And then someone said, well, Calvin, you're not exactly right. Mino Simmons is more right. And someone said, well, Mino Simmons is sort of right, but Zwingli's probably more right. And so then you end up with all this splintering that happens in the next couple hundred centuries after that. Then what happens is you get gobs of immigrants uh, from these various Christian traditions in Europe find their way into the Americas. Now, what's interesting is that in Europe, all the churches, by and large, are, are tied to the state. Like Germany is... The state church of Germany is Lutheran. The state church of England is Anglican or the church of England. And so, so you have these, like their authority rested in the state almost. And so these people get over to this country that has freedom of religion. And they say, how do we know we're legitimate? How do we know we're legitimate? And so then they start figuring out how to justify their existence. And a lot of times it ends up being over and against other denominations that may have the same exact name as them. But it was like, well... We're going to make ourselves legitimate because we were kind of here first. And then history sort of continues its way. And now you have thousands of denominations within the Western world. Yeah. And I think that in America, wow. one and of the things, that, yeah. And in particular in America, I think one of the things that fed into that was this kind of like frontier individualism where, yes. you know, we, it, there's almost, it's almost anathema to associate with a larger group um, when it comes to definition and identity. And so you had a lot of splinter groups saying like, no, we can actually act as autonomous congregations, autonomous individuals within communities. And so therefore we don't need the association. And actually we, we reject the association with these broader church bodies that used to be state churches, you know, and that kind of thing. And now instead we're going to form, like you said, these kind of splinter groups um, that inevitably became very American and very unique to the, uh, to the American landscape um, of, of Christendom, really. Yep. And yeah, exactly. And to your point, Joshua, the, the Newbegin quote that, that you mentioned, what's interesting is that, you know, there, there's the negative reading of it, which we've kind of done. The positive that Newbegin actually alludes to is that, like, for example, our denomination, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, like it's, it's explicitly stated that the reason that we're joined together in a denomination is for the purpose of raising up new leaders in the church and sending out missionaries to the world, period. Like that's mm -hmm. explicitly what it is. Uh, what it's considering <laughs> the numbers don't necessarily back that up that well, great. 
No, and that's the thing is what's happened is over the years, as we gained traction in this country, as, as immigrants in this country, we ended up bloating and becoming a bureaucracy like everything else. And then it ends up becoming about perpetuating and sustaining the bureaucracy as opposed to what the original end goal was for this church body. Oh, interesting. So you're saying that it has become self-propagation. Exactly. No, that's where Newbegin, I think, is right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just kind of saying that in a facetious sort of way. It was good. So, it was intri intrigue and mystery. So that was a bunch of history. Uh, let's answer the question here. The question is then, okay, so we are clearly still part of this church body, though, and I guess happily so. Uh, so how how do people, how do Christians in different denominations, how should they interact? How are denominations good? How are they bad? Any thoughts? On the one hand, I, I, need, I think we need to stop vilifying other denominations um, because a little bit earlier in this uh, in this book by Newbegin, he also says that Christians need to uh, interact with other cultures. And he's referring specifically to ethnic cultures uh, from around the globe. But I also think that the point could be made that we need to interact with other denominational cultures because he says that we are able to point out the blind spots in one culture's eye and they're able to point out the blind spots in ours. And yeah. what we've sort of failed to do, or at least come to say is, is just not acceptable um, here in this country is to interact and engage in dialogue with other denominations in the end goal of saying, hey, why don't you show us where we're short-sighted? Or, hey, let us inform you where you may be a little short-sighted in, in this kind of idea of, of mutual growth and cooperation. And I think that that's where we need to move, uh, quite honestly, as denominations. We need to be able to have safe uh, dialogue with one another in discussion and saying, you know, we can learn from one another uh, regardless of our of our worship or theological cultural differences and sort of regain some sense of that oneness of the church prior to the Protestant Reformation that you mentioned I think, earlier. I, I, I absolutely agree with you, Josh. I think the problem that comes of this is that when you're talking about this ultimate thing of of our salvation and and who Jesus is when you're talking with other other denominations and you believe something that is very different we you know we talk about us being lutherans and you have you have some ELCA lutherans who believe that scripture is not the that is not the uh the word of god mm -hmm. and so that that's a real real problem this isn't two businesses saying hey by the way your marketing is a little right. weak here or there um oh yeah and you guys you know your uh you, you know, you could strengthen your, your long-term strategies kind of thing, you know, like, the, the, right. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the absolute salvation of our souls. Stakes and that's are where, yeah. The stakes are the highest. And so that's where we're, you can't just sit down. So it, it's very, it's very hard to do that. And that's where we are not only as a country, but I think in the world as well, when you look at our politics, we can't even sit and say where we agree it's it's simply pointing out where we where we don't agree. It's the same thing with religion. It's the same thing with our denominations and all of this. And so, um, our country's I, our country and our world's in a very bad spot to 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 be able to sit down and do this. On the flip side, especially when we're talking about Christian denominations, we can all sit here and agree that Jesus is Lord. That for the most part, most Christian denominations will will admit that Jesus died, he rose again, and it is that action that saves us. Um, but we never focus on that for some reason. I don't understand why. Yeah. And I, I think you're right, Tom. And, and that's the big deal is like, it's hard to, because there are issues that are really important that seem so abundantly clear to certain denominations. Like for us, we're, we're a sacramental denomination. And so like, I sit down with someone and, and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really believe that Jesus is actually present in the Lord's Supper. I'll be like, homie, like, what did he say? Like, you know, just like read the text. Like, it just seems obvious to me. And, and so it's hard for me. Like, I'm not going to concede that. Like, I'm just not. Uh, and at the same time, to have a posture of humility that's willing to dialogue, to have a posture of humility that's willing to have conversations with people who, who read the text differently than I do, who see it differently than I do. Uh, I think is important for, for all spectrum. So, so I think, you know, in the individual lives of the individual Christian, it, to answer this question, it's to approach brothers and sisters from another denomination with humility. Uh, I will say for me, though, one of the things that like where I say, well, where do you draw a line, though, man? Where do you say like, you know what, dude, we just we're just not even close to the same page. I, I go back to the creeds where I say like that was the whole purpose of the creeds is that they united the Christian church. So for the good listener, that's the Apostles Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. So these these sort of three ecumenical creeds that 
if you're a Christian, you, you, you're like, this is what we sign up for. And so those creeds lay out who God is, who Jesus is, and what the, what the Holy Spirit is, what the church is, and what the plan of salvation is. And so uh, to me, I'm like, if you can get down on that, we can have humble conversation. If you're not engaged in those core basic fundamentals, I have a hard time even calling you a Christian. Yeah, it's not it's not as if we're going to engage with say the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons and and somehow pretend like we're on the same page and say, "Oh, we can learn from one another, iron sharpens iron" or whatever the case may be. Um but at the same time, like we do have to understand that say maybe for us as LCMS Lutherans where we tend to um uh, I don't want to say like shy away from or shun, but the the expressions of the Holy Spirit. Like I, I do think there is something to be learned from charismatic brothers and sisters in the Pentecostal and some of God church that that we tend to neglect. You know what I mean? In the same way, we can offer some, say, you know, grounding in things like long gospel to them that they may not uh, express or participate in and and uh, teach on a regular basis. But if we never engage in the dialogue, then yeah, it's absolutely divisive instead of what it should be, which is strengthening the body of Christ. Yep. So hopefully that answered your question, Andrew. Uh, man, so glad to to, to hear from you. And uh, it, was, it was good to talk to you guys about this. Um, and so hope that was helpful for you, the good listener. Uh, we're going to head to a break here. And when we get back, we're going to talk funerals. What do you say? What don't you say? Who's to say? See you on the other side. Welcome back. We are going to actually get into it now. We're going to be continuing our conversation. Uh, you know, last week we, uh, well, how would you characterize it? A bit contentious? Um, it happened. Oh, no oh, comment. Oh, no a little comment. adversarial, if you will. Uh, we want you guys to know that we are all still good friends uh, to the bitter end. It's true. And so, I uh, Always and forever. I don't know that song. No, I think it's like a I no. think it's a boys to men song. No. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. And so we are going to kind of continue this conversation about uh things that happen at funerals cuz that kind of was where the the impetus of our conversation last week and it's going to be the same this week. And so Josh, you've had some some recent funeral experiences uh that's going to kind of queue up this conversation. So what do you got? Yeah. So first of all, my apologies. I know that Always and Forever was not a Boys to Men song. So if you were offended by that, you should be. And I apologize for you. What was it? For, for, I, I don't know. But I know for sure it wasn't a Boys to Men song. Um, however, so before we got into what we weren't planning on talking about last episode, um, I had been talking with Tom about the fact that um, I had attended a funeral recently. Heat Wave. And, Heat Wave did Always and Forever. Really? Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, I googled it. Okay, fun aside, there was an economist who did a uh, a study recently oh, gosh, that put a value upon basically what people would or would not pay for, and how much they would pay for, or or would want to be compensated for uh, internet related activity. Right? Social media came in at the lowest, and people would want to be compensated like three hundred fifty dollars a year or just a one-time settlement to stop using social media. But you know the number one thing people wanted to be compensated for if they were to give up all internet activity? The Google search. Wow. That's and you just accurate. proved why, because it is just indispensable to life. Well, now the problem is, though, you also then end up being wrong, because it turns out it's Luther Vandross. Was he part of Heat Wave? Oh, Luther Vandross, yeah. This doesn't show my ignorance. I don't know. Luther Vandross, Heat Luther Wave. Vandross. Who's I, I, to say? I, I so know I Luther Vandross. You were going to tell us about some funeral things oh, yeah. that you, that you speaking recently of, experienced. Speaking of, speaking of dying, we need to kill whatever that was of that conversation and move on. So I was at a funeral recently, and it wasn't the, the service, but it was the visitation, right? And it was a, a member of the mother church that we were planted out of. And I knew this family uh, from when I had been in Chattanooga. And so I just wanted to go. I, I wasn't able to make this, the funeral service. But I did want to stop by and at least pay my respects and, and comfort the family as best I could, right? 
And so I show up and I walk into the funeral home. And as soon as I get to the the area of visitation, uh, this gentleman who was a veteran, and I think this is a decent segue from our last episode into this one, his casket was draped with an American flag. And on either side of the American uh, of his casket were American flags in stands. And on the little obituary brochure that people could pick up um, and take with them, it was like his floating head uh, above an American flag. And, you know, I, I'm so I'm standing there a bit uncomfortable because I'm like, wow, I, I know this guy was a, a really strong Christian. And yet standing here in this place of visitation in this funeral home, if I didn't know that fact, I would have no idea that he believed in Jesus. If anything, I would just say that he was an ardent patriot and a veteran of, of our country's, you know, um, military forces. Right. And so then to add to kind of the, my confusion, I'm, I'm standing in line and I get to his wife who I've known. And I say, Hey, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss, but guess what? Like he has received his crown of life and he's with Christ and what a wonderful you know, resurrection he's going to receive. Right. Mm -hmm. And she goes, you know what? He was just such a good guy. Like, yeah, we had our, our arguments and our disagreements, but he was just such a good man. And in that moment, I had a crisis of conscience because on the one hand I was thinking that doesn't matter. Like he's, he's dead now he's with Christ. Therefore, whatever false goodness he had has been redeemed, um, to, and, and perfected. Uh, because of his faith in Christ. And yet at the same time, I was also thinking, why do you feel like you need to justify the goodness of his character or his morality to me when I'm just simply saying, I'm so sorry that you're grieving and you're mourning right now, right? So I, I was just kind of torn, like as a as a theologian, I wanted to say, what you're saying is, is crap. Like you don't need to say that. Uh, but as a pastor and someone who wants to care for you know, the pain and the suffering of another human being, particularly a member of the church, I want to say, you know what? Like, sure, say whatever you want to say as you process through this grief. And ironically, just a few weeks later, I'm actually performing the, well, I don't know what you call it. What do you call it, Gabe? When you when you host a funeral service or you are leading the worship of a... You're performing a funeral. Okay, I was performing a funeral, right? And it was for a, a member of our church and her husband had died. And uh, the estranged son and daughter arrived. And afterwards, we're sitting down there after the reception, you know, where people ate lunch and, and kind of hang out or whatever. And um, her friends, the the the, the widow, her, her best friend, basically, his husband is there. And, or I mean, brother is there. And he comes up and he says, hey, that was a really nice service you held. I was like, well, you know, thank you. I think he would have liked it. And this is what the family wanted, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, you know, but um, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And so I've gone through AA and, you know, I don't, it was nice, but I don't really believe it. I believe in just kind of a higher power. Oh, and by the way, I believe in guardian angels. And so here we are in the immediate aftermath of a funeral service where I focused entirely on the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's our hope and yada, 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 eternal life all the things I'm supposed to do as a good Lutheran pastor and theologian. And here I'm standing here and some guy is basically like, mm, I don't really buy into that, but I'm sort of into a higher power, quote unquote, and guardian angels. And so yet again, I find myself in this predicament where as a theologian, I'm like, dude, you realize that's just false. One, why would you say that to me? Because I don't actually agree with you. Um, is that part of your grief or are you trying to justify the, the experience you had? Um, but then as a pastor, I want to say, okay, this, this person is interpreting their, their grieving through a particular lens. So how can I approach them in that? And so really my questions for you guys and, and in general are, why is it that people at funerals, either the deceased family or just attendees feel like they need to somehow justify some emotion, feeling, or, uh, memory of the person who died to, to the clergy. And two, as a pastor, like, how do I respond and react to these things where I'm like, it's just an utter, utter disagreement with what I actually teach and believe. But at the same time, I don't want to sound like a jerk and be like, uh, you know what, what you're saying is false. So Josh, I have two things for you. First of all, is like, I feel like every funeral I do, the uh how did you describe the son and daughter the uh estranged family estranged the estranged family is always there 
like it's the i mean i guess that makes sense they die and so they're going to show up then but like every time and then it's like oh cool you haven't talked to each other in 20 years sure i'll be the bridge i've never met you before and it's real uncomfortable so one so i feel you two um i want to can we take this piece by piece because i think there's a couple things so so the 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 first thing is this, like, you know, you talk about the, the woman who lost her husband and she says, you know, he's a good man. For me, like, yeah, in one sense, yes, it's a grieving process. And we certainly don't want people to to fall into an assumption of, of what we would call justification by works. Right. Saying like, well, hey, we know he's with the Lord now because he was a good man. That's not true. You Correct. Are, are made right with God. You spend eternity with God, not by what you do or what you don't do, but purely by God's grace in Jesus Christ and your faith to receive that grace. Okay. That's, that's what we would say. hundred percent at the same time, man, I don't know of a better time, but a funeral to remember the life of the deceased. Like that is what you should do is say like, you know, like, like when you die, Josh, and I do your funeral, you are dying before me. Uh, and, <laughs> um, and, uh, Listen, I do CrossFit, bro. And uh, and so I'm going to live forever. And so like what, when when I do your funeral, like people are saying, man, like Josh was such a loving guy and he was so caring. And like he really, you know, was about pursuing justice and, and loving other people and gave of himself. I'm not going to be like, well, not even in my head. Am I going to be like, yes, but that isn't why he's in heaven. I'm going to be like, yeah, he was, man. Like, let's remember that about him. Like, let's let that inspire us. Let's let that shape us. Let's let that form us into being better people as well. So to me, man, I don't I don't get upset about that. I think that's a good thing. No, well, well I wasn't upset about it. But at the same time, I was uh, – what I was thinking is, okay, I as I'm standing in line, I mean, we're sitting in a visitation room in a funeral home. It's not big. So you can hear the conversations of the five to eight people in front of you right? Hugging the, the, the widow or the widower. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it never came up. She never said anything like that, but it wasn't until I, who she identified as pastor Josh, right? A member yeah. of the clergy. Yeah. And then I, and I simply said, all I said was, Hey, so sorry for your loss. And I used his name and I said, he is in paradise. He's with Christ. You know, he's received his reward because of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Just straight comfort with the gospel, very short and sweet. Yeah. And her first go-to was, you know, we used to argue, and yeah, we had our disagreements, but he was a good man. So it wasn't the fact that, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. I, I absolutely think we should honor, um, especially those who die in faith, honor the the legacy that they're able to pass on as someone who who ran the race, right? right. Who Who endured to the end, as Paul would say. But I was just sort of perplexed as to why is it that you wouldn't make those comments to friends or family who are in that line hugging you? Yeah, yeah. And yet when the pastor shows up, even if you've been a Lutheran your whole life, and, and I'm speaking at least from a Lutheran perspective here where they hear anti-works righteousness, just like yeah. you identified, why is it then that when I show up, you're, you're trying to justify this, this person's morality? It's like or, you're the, mor the moral police are here. Yeah, exactly. Like, I evidence. didn't care. I yeah, wasn't yeah. ever going to be like, oh, yeah, man, he was, boy, you're lucky he died. You know, or Real anything like that. Yeah, hey, exactly. Yeah. It was just okay. going to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm grieving with you. But just like you said, it was kind of like, oh, I better tell pastor. Like, he was a good guy, so he doesn't think otherwise. You know what I mean? L l let me bring the non-pastor perspective here. Because any th this to me, this is a point of professional pride for you two. I hear the same thing when when my mom and my dad talk. Um, you know, my dad, who is a pastor, has said the same thing talking about people at funerals. Um, he particularly hates the thing when people say, "Oh, I learned so much at your children's message." You know, he's like, "Oh, I had a real message." You know that I spoke. You know, but here's the thing: you guys know a thousand things about theology and everybody else knows like four things about theology. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you are reacting to the things that, that needle you because you know, they're either not true or that are not the ultimate thing. Right. Mm -hmm. When you get into a, this happens to me, 
I have a lot of friends because I worked at Thrive and Financial. I have a lot of friends who who are in the financial services business. And when we're out golfing together and they end up getting to talk about annuities and stocks and bonds and things like that, I get dragged into that conversation. And so I try to add something to the conversation that sounds smart or that maybe is something I picked up from reading. And every once in a while, I'll throw out a really boneheaded comment. And my buddy will look at me. He's like, you know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The S&P is down 20 points. Why would you even say that? You know, because he knows everything about when you're sitting and talking to a bunch of baseball players, what are you going to talk about? Right. Baseball, you know, and you're going to try to say something smart about baseball even though you don't know, I work in nonprofits and I hate it when people come in and they, they, they'll they say something. They're like, well, you know, because of this and this and this. I'm like, well, you don't know because you've never worked in nonprofits. And that's the most asinine thing I've ever heard. Yeah, but the challenge. Tom, but I don't is say that. Like, I, I don't say my, that. Our, our job is like literally my job and Gabe's job. We have we have one thing we're supposed to do. And Gabe, what is that? Proclaim the gospel. Right. And yet at this point. At this point in which the gospel should be shining through most clearly. Yeah, but it's not it's not the gospel we've been preaching for yeah, years that, but, that comes. But they're through. not they're not hearing that though because they've just lost the most important person in their life. Yeah. And so you but know that's, I, what I, I, that, that's what I'm saying. So where are we falling short to where I could I've told that same person year I mean not in this case because she wasn't a member of my church, but Say, for example, I'm the pastor of her church for 25 years, mm-hmm. okay? And for 25 years, I'm just saying in many ways, shapes, and forms, it has nothing to do with how good of a person you are or you think you are, but it has everything to do with Christ's righteousness. Yeah, because then, no, one, no, one's gonna, no one is going to be at the funeral and say, man, he was kind of a crappy guy. Boy, we didn't like him at all. We're just kind of here out of obligation. Gee, Pastor, do you agree? No, like, but that but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we is what I'm saying is like, I hope at my I hope at my funeral, I if, if Gabe does my funeral. When Gabe does your funeral. When Gabe does my funeral, yeah. I hope he is confident enough to say, he can say, you know what? Yeah, Josh was a, a good whatever, right? But he was also a sinful human being. And this is the beauty of what's happening here. He has died, and that is a result of sin in the world. And yet, because of Christ, he is now going to receive resurrection to life eternal. Like, I hope, Gabe, yes. you are able to, at my funeral, to say, you know what? You may all think Josh was the greatest guy, but he wasn't. I mean, and not in those and, same and that is And that is true, Josh. And I hope Gabe says that, and I will be at your funeral, too, because I, even though I am ages older than you, I will still be alive. And For so sure. why am I dying first? Why do we I all know die you before are. all of you? You are. I'm not going to go up to Jenny and say, wow, do you realize how awful your husband was? No, no, like, no. no but, I'm not going to say Jenny, that. No, no, that's not what I'm getting. At. I'm hoping that Jenny at my funeral, my wife, is able to say, you know what? Just a, 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 I, I hope – this is my sincere hope, okay? And I'm not being trite. I hope that my wife doesn't try to justify my character. No, and she I, – I hope that – Josh, that Josh. Josh she, say, I'm sorry. She points them to say, you know what? Here's the gospel. That's what I hope. No, and yes, and she's not going to say that, and Gabe's not going to say that. But you are – but both you and Gabe and Jenny, by the fact that she lives with you and deals with this every day – are, are are in the 1% of the theological realm of people in the world, okay? So for the 99% of people who are at the funeral, they don't know what the hell to say. And yeah. so, and, and they don't have a master's degree in divinity. They haven't, they haven't spent a lifetime studying scriptures, okay? And no matter how many times they hear you guys preach, they are still affected by their grief, number one, so their thinking is clouded, number one. Number two, they don't have the theological underpinnings of theology that you guys do. And then thirdly, like you have people coming at that. You get, you have all sorts of people from all walks of life coming coming into this funeral. The unbeliever, the, the, the alcoholic, the, the person who is so against Christianity or the people who just love Jesus, love Jesus, love Jesus, but don't really have a, that deep of a faith, you know, or understanding. 
So you have all of these things and you, the pastor, are the one focal point that are looked at as like the spiritual leader of this entire thing. But like you're still clouded by the entire process of it. I don't know. How do you feel, Gabe? Because that's still I, I agree, Tom, but I still feel unsettled by that. So I, I am very sympathetic to Tom. I and I, I think it's like this. It's the default, how do I put it this way? I think the default setting of the human heart is what I would call religion as such. And what I mean by that is religion as such is that we live in a state of constantly trying to justify ourselves, right? And so there's a secular version of this that says like, hey, if you don't affirm everything and just high five everyone for whatever lifestyle they want to choose, then you're a bad person. Right. And so that's someone who says that can say I have moral superiority, moral superiority over you and I can justify my existence because I'm more of a moral person than you. And there's a religious version of this that says, hey. I do the right things. I drink 2% milk and I wear khaki pants and, and I, I cheer for the right teams and kumbaya and I'm just doing it right. And, and it's just like this default setting of the human heart to justify our behavior and to justify our existence. Like we know that. And so we certainly then try to apply that to our loved ones in the midst of grief. And so I, I guess my point is like... I, I, I'm a little bit like, no matter how much we preach it, bro, like it, it is the reality that the default setting of the human heart is, is a meritocracy. The default setting of the human heart is to justify yourself by your own works and to justify your loved ones by their works. And so to me, I don't. And, and so then you and I as pastors become this sort of uh, idealized version of what if someone's religious, we become an idealized version of what justification by works is like, this is it. You're the person who's actually doing it right. And, and so I'm going to justify what my husband did to you. And so I don't see, I, I like, so then how do, so then how do we respond? Because on, on, on the one level, right. If we were addressing that exact issue, you just identified in a, a sermon, right. Which we or, do, or which we do, or a Bible study, yeah. which we do all the time. In that situation, we would confront that yep. either directly or indirectly to show its flaws and its weaknesses and ultimately point to where it, it fails and therefore the gospel is able to enter in and, and now, actually some, so, I, so I'm watching uh, – uh, my wife and I were watching Chicago Fire the other night. And Why? Yeah. That's it's unnecessary. It's a, a fairly decent show. I love it. Oh, um, Tom. Wow. No. Oh, gosh. Wow. Why are we, no, we weren't supposed turn. to go here. Dark turn. <laughs> Have you watched it? No. Okay. Yeah, I've seen one okay. episode. It was terrible. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, so some a, a gentleman had been crushed by a beam that fell, and his legs were basically severed. And when they pulled him off onto the stretcher, they left the bottom part of his legs, right? Yep. And... And the guy's in shock. He's freaking out. And and he's like, oh, I'm going to be okay, right? I'm going to be okay. Like, what, what happened to my legs? And under your reasoning, Josh, you should immediately tell him, dude, um, your legs were crushed. Actually, they're already severed. You'll never walk again, by the way. And judging by your position here working in the factory, you probably can't afford uh, the advanced technologies and the, the prosthetics that you'll need to have any kind of normal life. You're going to be in a wheelchair forever. Just want to tell you the truth. This is how it is. That's your reasoning right there. What is this guy going to die or is he just going to be hospitalized for a while? No, he's going to be hospitalized for a while and lead a life in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Yeah. So so I guess here's what I'm asking. If I so, can so, say in that exact situation, what's so bad about. Like, so you're telling me I should lie to this person and say, hey, dude, everything's going to be okay. You're going to make it. We're going to, we're going to get through this together. Like, no, I can say in, in a compassionate way, dude, your legs are chopped off and you're going to be a long stint of hospitalization, but I'll be there with you. You'd make a terrible paramedic. Well, terrible. I don't paramedic. know. Would I like, if, yes, if my needs, legs are chopped off, that's I want to know. What he needs not, to know. Hey, by like the way, your children, my legs are going to show up again. In the same Chicago fire, you know, a family got separated and had the children got burned in the in the building. Like, is the best thing while the person's in shock and heading to the hospital, like, oh, hey, by the way, your children burned in the, yes. in the oh, thing. I, actually, I'm glad you bring this up because, so listen to this. 
I am a, and this isn't braggadocious. It's just a fact. I am trained and certified by the International Conference of Police Chaplains. Okay. Whoa, we're so impressed, Josh. Yep, I have a badge. It's shiny and gold. Cool. For at least another thirty days before I give it up. However, in our training about making death notifications, okay, mm-hmm. that in a death notification you are supposed to be succinct, to the point, and very clear. Yep. So I don't. So I don't show up if if Jen died in a freak accident, right? And mm-hmm. the police were called, and they and and they say, "Hey, chaplain, we need you to go to make a death notification to, to Thomas O'Neill." I yep. don't show up and say, you know, um, something happened. Your wife, you know, she's like not okay. Uh, this or that. I'm supposed to say in in the midst of your grief or shock, yep. to b- communicate very clearly exactly what happened to say. Are you Thomas O'Neill? No, yes. But are not- you the husband of Are you the hu- husband of Jen O'Neill? Yes. Your wife died in this specific way. I'm sorry for your loss. So that that way there's no confusion or false hope that exists. No, but but you're not trained to do it as they're carting me into the ambulance. And just before I go, be, just before they give me the sedative, like, no, 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 wait, paramedic, hold on. I need to make sure that he knows that his children died before you put them under. They're not asking you to do it. And so in a funeral situation, when someone says, oh, man, my husband, it was just such a good time. In your sermon, yes, you are absolutely supposed to preach the gospel and the salvation as as we know it as Lutherans and and say it's not be, it's not works righteousness, it is because of the it is because of the works of Jesus Christ. That is what you're supposed to preach. But when someone says, Oh man, my husband is such a good man, your role as a pastor is not to say, actually he wasn't, he was a terrible person, he was sinful to the core, just so you know. That's not your role. You're supposed yeah, to. But I think uh, there's a middle ground here, gents. I think there's a middle ground here. And I think it was actually tapped into in that, like, it, the if, you know, and again, it's like spur of the moment. I don't know what you ended up saying to this lady, Josh, but in a magical world where you know this is coming and you can say the right thing, and that's what we're getting at is what's the right thing to say, is, is probably to do something like this, to say, like, yeah, you know, he really was a great guy and I'm so glad I got to know him, you know, but you know, as we know, like that's not what makes us okay before God. And so thank goodness for Jesus, you know, like, like something along those lines. That yeah, says, well, like, so, so I mentioned two scenarios, right? That was the first one in the visitation where I'm not at yeah. the actual funeral service. And then the second scenario is where I'm performing the funeral service. Yeah. Let's go to that one. Okay. Right. So the, the widow of this deceased man, you know what she tells me when I'm talking to him? Hmm or I'm mean, talking to her, she says, I don't want this to focus on him. I want this to be about Jesus and the resurrection. Dang. So the entire, so one, she gets it right. Yep. Yep. And the entire service and the sermon, the, the funeral homily, I never once have to applaud this deceased person's moral character. Yep. Because she, what she told me was, I want you to focus on Jesus and the resurrection. So did I, bring up this person's life and some funny memories of his life that people would relate to. Absolutely. Fart jokes. But, yep, great. Yeah, exactly. But did I ever once say he was such a good guy? No. I said, here are things that he enjoyed to do here are memories of him that we have. And yet this is how it points to Christ, right? Yeah. And so to your point, Tom, I didn't intentionally work in this thing like, Oh, well, you know, he was a terrible guy because of sin. Yeah. But instead, I focused on Jesus and the resurrection. And yet, even with that, that's when this person who grew up with him was a childhood friend of his came up to me and said, yeah, it was a nice service. But, you know, I believe in just a quote unquote higher power. Oh, and guardian angels. So where did that come from? That's what I want to know. Like, where did that come from? Bro, but that's so I say this all the time, right? Like when you're a pastor, this is the deal. People find out you're a pastor either they like want to talk to anyone else but you so true or their walls come down in the weirdest freaking ways ever also true so like that's it i mean those are the two options whenever someone finds out i'm pastor it's like can i talk to anyone else or let me tell you about what i think about guardian angels i don't care what you think about guardian angels but that's what you're going to tell me okay i guess i'll listen and smile so so that brings us to the question of the night right so so like, so then, you know, is, I mean, obviously it's a case by case basis, but the, the interesting thing is then 
what what do you say as fr- from our perspective, right? We've talked about this for a while, but Tom, from a non-pastoral perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think. What, what do you say at a funeral to the pastor? That's what I want to know. Like, <laughs> would, would you come up and be like, oh, hey, hey, great ceremony, great service, whatever. No, okay. I don't actually believe anything you said, but guardian angels. Yeah, okay. So, so <laughs> right. First of all, good listener, because I'm pretty sure 99% of you are not pastors. Um, first of all, the pastor is there performing a function. They are working. They care very, they, they, if it's part of their congregation, someone they know, they probably care very deeply about the person and the family and things like that. And they are probably going through some sort of small grieving process, not as much as you, the grandson or whatever relation to the, to the deceased. Um, but they are certainly saddened by what's happening. Fair enough, pastors? Yes, accurate. Okay. Um, If it's a situation where the pastor has been called in and they don't know the person very well and things like that, they are more performing an obligatory... Professional deal. Professional duty, you know? Um, And and they're there. Um, It is certainly a sad situation, but they're doing their job. And so, one, you don't you the listener don't have to feel like you need to go up and and either prove your your worthiness on a Sorry. theological scale Sorry. you don't need to you don't need to open up their hearts they probably just want to eat some cake and go home yep. um and so uh you don't need to high five them for their great service if you want to that's fine that's great we like it right but from like the individual perspective of like what do you say like first of all I don't think there's a lot you need to say to the pastor. It's not about them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, if you are if you are there, you know, go up to the immediate loved ones. I'm sorry for your loss. I don't know really what else to say, but I'm thinking about you. If you're Christian, I'm thinking and praying about for you and the family. And working towards gun reform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like they'll hear they'll hear that a thousand times, but you don't need to get cute and clever over it, you know. Yep. Um, it's good. I mean, I, that's it. I yep. mean, it's not rocket science, folks. Right, and and, and honestly, uh, for those of you who are now frightened about what you should be saying at a funeral because your pastor will uh, get on their podcast and judge you with contempt <laughs> for for what you're saying. Um, I will go back to uh, that pastor when he gets into a conversation with a financial planner and will say something stupid about the S&P 500. Um, it's the same thing. So yeah. to be fair, Josh knows a lot about the stock market, though. So so much. You know, so the, Dow, the Dow, the NASDAQ, <laughs> the FTSE in England. What's it called? The, the FTSE. Is it really? Yep. The Nikkei in Japan. Oh, wow. Listen, only because I listen to David Brancaccio in on NPR, which is what is that like money matters or whatever? Or no, is that planet money? Pla- uh, no, I don't think it's planet money. Is that planet money? I used to or maybe it is. I don't oh. know. I don't know what the numbers now. mean. I just know the names of the stock market. So if they're down or up, whatever, I'm shoot if I know. Yeah. Well, at any rate, um, yeah, Tom, those are wise words. I, I affirm them wholeheartedly. Great. Yep. I know you're you know, looking for that. You know, Tom, as a matter of fact, I think, and maybe Gabe would concur, the next time we're requested to perform a funeral, I think that maybe we're going to tap you on the shoulder and say, all right, buddy, it's your chance to shine. Yeah. Oh, here, here's what I could do. I could be at the funeral, in the door, just passing out little note cards to people as they come through with like preferred and yes, preferred uh, little sentences that they can... Uh, that they can say maybe some quotes, uh, yep. things like that. Maybe you uh, could sing a solo about shine, Jesus, shine. Let you uh, fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze spirit. Oh, yeah, blaze spirit. Feel the burn. Oh, the Holy Spirit. He just blazes up. Like, All right. Blaze <laughs> I think oh, it's time oh. for a break. We yeah, better we come should. back after that. Hey, when we come back, friends, just get ready for something. Something you won't believe. No, no. <laughs> no, I'm going to yell at pastors for a while. That'll be great. All right. We'll see you on the other side. Time's going to yell at us. We love you. Bye.
Hey friends, welcome back from break. We are going to wrap this bad boy up. And uh, as we were kind of off air for a little bit, we were we were talking with each other, kind of really what's the core issue here? And really the, the core issue that we kind of talked about, were, what, what's Josh's beef with, with how he responds at funerals when people say weird things to him, uh, basically centers around this idea of like, and he, Josh is a, is a learned man who has, has studied theology at a, at a high level and really has some core convictions about what he believes to be true, what he knows to be true in one sense. And and so, so to have someone come up and just be like, hey, yeah, I know you believe that to be true, but yeah, it's kind of silly. Here's what I actually believe, and this is what's right. It's, frankly, it's a little bit insulting for one, but but for two, it's like, bro, like, that's cool you thought about that for a year, but, like, I've been at this game for a little bit, and and so maybe you should have some humility and not insult my my profession. Uh, and so we were talking about this, and Tom's like, dude, this happens in every profession, and he shared a really great example. So, Tom, would you mind uh, sharing that with the good listener right now? Yeah, so as someone who's in development, which is fundraising for a major nonprofit, we run a really big event every year. and we spend a large chunk of money to do it, but we get 10 times the amount back. And so to me, that's a pretty good ROI. Now we invite a lot of donors and some donors, uh, it happened this year, they emailed me back or they called me back and they said, hey, uh, thanks for the invite, but we really think that money could be spent better elsewhere. Um, we don't want you spending $100 on our meal, you know, uh, for this, we, we think you could spend that in a better way and intellectually. And because of my long experience in the nonprofit world, I know better and say, yeah, we may be spending a hundred dollars on you, but you're going to give us a thousand dollars tonight. And so that seems like a pretty good ROI to me. And so it's just another example of this happens all the time where people share their opinion because they have some interaction with, with that field of, of expertise expert. Yes. Thank you. Of, of expertise or, or in some kind of different field of the, of the workforce, but they really don't know. And I think this is the same thing that comes that, that comes when we, when you have a funeral, I, I, I think the biggest rub is that, you know, we're, we're struggling with eternal salvation here and that's why it gets us so fired up. We're in the nonprofit world. I can just say, you know, I'm not going to correct them. This is one of my major donors. I'm not going to correct them and be like, "Hey, let me tell you why you're so wrong." Um, please don't get in my face about this because they give me fifty thousand dollars a year. I'm going to say, "Hey, you know what? I totally understand your viewpoint. Um, we're going to raise a million dollars this year, and so, um, you know, I thank you for your support, and I, I hope you'll continue to support us in different ways." And, and I hope that they'll understand by me kind of throwing out there that we're going to raise a million dollars, that they'll get the point that they couldn't possibly be spending a million dollars on that, that there must be a big ROI on that. They're smart people. They're giving me $50,000. They must have done something right in life, right? Theoretically. And so I'll continue to work with them and I'm going to let them down. I'm not going to beat them over the head with how they're so wrong, but I'm going to, I'm going to continue to engage with them in different ways because I hope to continue to foster them as advocates and donors. And I think it's got to be the same way with funerals. You have someone who comes up and says something that's really dumb and goes against the grain of everything you've been preaching and teaching for the last X number of years. But you say, Hey, cool. You believe in a higher power, higher power after you just heard my sermon about Jesus and his death and resurrection, but you, you're not going to latch onto that. Hey, I'm, I'm really glad that you, that you that you got something from my sermon. I uh, I hope you heard that there's a God out there that loves you and that sacrificed his son for you. Um, I'd love to talk with you about that at some other time. Um, but right now I know that you're grieving for your lost friend, relative, whatever. Um, you know, Deuces. thanks for being here. Deuces. <laughs> Deuces. Peace out. A-Town. Boom, beam, boom, beam. I, I think that's pretty helpful, Tom. I, I, I like that. Well, helping pastors all over the world. Hashtag Tom O'Neill. That's mm, right. So true. So all right, true. friends. We missed this on the front end, but we would love to hear from you. So please uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, 
Leave uh, us a review on iTunes. Please. We are we're rolling up those charts, man. It's a good thing. I mean, so much so that Ryan Reynolds sponsored us. So thank you for, for all of you doing that. Uh, but it's it's a good thing. That I'm learning. That's actually how it works. Like the more reviews you get, the like sponsors take notice. So hey, if you want to support us in a way that like takes 30 seconds of your time. Uh, we would love to to have you do that and just leave us a review as long as it's a positive one. If it's negative, I don't know. We don't want to just else. don't talk, even bother. Talk to the manager, Karen. Yeah, you can okay. you can, re- you, can re- you can throw a review on iTunes. You can support Tap the Keg. You can continue listening and telling your friends about it. Yep, and we would love if you texted us too. And our number for that is and none of us have that up. Okay, <laughs> right now. So listen to a previous episode and you'll find. <laughs> Uh, and oh, oh boy, we are so professional. Well, yeah, friends, thanks for part of the charm. Thanks for another episode of uh, PGP. Hope it's been helpful for you. And uh, we love you all. Keep the faith, just don't keep it to yourself. There you go.